It's a new day and opportunity is in the air. This is Philip with Soul Insights and you are tuned in to Good Morning Market, where small businesses are empowered to lead their market with the latest in market news, insights, and strategy. In today's episode, we're going to take a look at the past and the present to see how everyday businesses can win in the 2020s. On the other side of the COVID pandemic, big businesses are poised to grow significantly while many small and medium-sized orgs are struggling to stay afloat. We need a paradigm shift to change the narrative, and that's what I'm going to cover today. But first, let's cover the market roundup. So the first news coming to us is coming from CNN Business. Headline, Goldman Sachs gets even gloomier on the U.S. economy. So Goldman Sachs is becoming increasingly pessimistic about the U.S. economy as coronavirus support from the government phases out and consumer spending remains on an uncertain path. Goldman Sachs now expects the economy to expand by 5.6% this year compared to a previous estimate of 57 in 2022, growth is expected to expand by 4%, down from 4.4%, one of the first reductions in 2022 GDP uh, projections that I've seen. It is the second time Gold, Goldman Sachs has revised its 2021 forecast lower in two months. Fox Business. Economists predict every likelihood U.S. economy enters recession at the end of 2021. The U.S. economy appears to be sliding into another recession based on declining consumer sentiment, even though employment and wage growth suggest otherwise, according to two academic economists. New research published last week by David Blanchflower of Dartmouth College and Alex Bryson of the University College London suggests that consumer expectations indexes from the Conference Board and the University of Michigan tend to predict economic downturns up to 18 months in advance in the U.S. The, quote, clear downward movements in consumer expectations, end quote, over the past six months are evidence the U.S. is currently headed into a recession, the economists say. From Georgia Department of Labor, the Georgia Department of Labor announced today that Georgia's unemployment rate dropped three-tenths of a percentage point to 3.2% in September, an all-time low for Georgia, dipping below the rate of 3.3% in January of last year, 2020. The number of employed rose above 5 million for the first time since the beginning of the pandemic, and the number of unemployed was reported at the lowest level since June 2001, that number being uh, 100 161,700. And finally, for market report, we have some HubSpot survey data. New HubSpot survey found that funny commercials were the number one reason why respondents recalled ads. Humor was cited over a third of the time on what made the ad memorable. Uh, giving helpful information was the second most cited reason for an ad being memorable. And that is your market wrapped up for this week. So what are we going to talk about today? We are going to talk a bit, kind of big picture. Um, uh, sometimes we're going to go more granular. This At this point in time, this episode, we're going to think about the decade. Pretty big, pretty big window, or at least the remainder of the 2020s. 
And I want to talk about what we're facing as small and mid-sized businesses, what we're looking at, what's facing us on the other side of the COVID pandemic. We're not on the other side of the COVID recession per se, although, you know, we, we should grow significantly this year. But we need to look at uh, what is the challenge facing us and how should we respond to these different things that have come up in the first year of this decade, namely what's come out of the other side of COVID. So it's kind of interesting and and, and what has inspired me uh, to write an article about this earlier in the year and what I'll be sharing with you all today. One one, uh, reference is from a a movie, uh, and then another reference uh, that is contributed to my perspective on this is a Harvard Business Review article that I read and thought it was extremely profound and insightful, uh, something I had to share with everybody and something I'm trying to implement in my own business as well. So let me let me start off with uh, what's facing us. What What is the challenge we're presently facing? So COVID uh, happened. Okay. We had all the shutdowns. We had, uh, all of these, uh, just, just the, one of the craziest stoppages to an economy in history. And I don't know, I mean, how many people would realize this, but the big businesses did not get affected by COVID the same way that most of the rest of us did. Uh, the fortune world, uh, they're coming out of the, the COVID recession. Uh, they've got the cash flow that, we don't, okay? Uh, they can weather increased regulation, and we see Washington, D.C. under the new administration has been a lot more involved in regulation and policy and taxes, and they're talking about a lot of stuff they want to roll out next year, increase corporate taxes. Big businesses, because they're of their political clout, because of their economies of scale, because they're, you know, multi, they're multinational, all of them, they're prepared to handle and navigate all of that. They have an entire accounting teams, legal teams that small and mid-sized businesses just don't. They also have the the power and the economies of scale to be able to adapt to increasing healthcare costs, the craziness of the great resignation and, and all of this fluctuation of labor. And they can they have the uh, the power and the resources to be able to attract the best labor and to accommodate the most flexible working environment. So all that to say the fortune world is poised in terms of grabbing new market share, grabbing new customers, expanding their reach with the in- increased digitization uh, and the the volatility coming out of COVID. All these market changes, big businesses are good to go. Small and mid-sized businesses, not so much. So, uh, you know, you know the thing with small and mid-sized businesses are uh, is we have a lot of ch- challenges facing us inside the house, okay? But there are a lot of market, uh, you know, challenges that we're facing. And as everybody's getting, uh, you know, tightened in the belt, and we have supply side issues, how can we respond to these different factors facing us on the other side of the COVID pandemic? So one data point I wanted to go to to help kind of codify. Uh, what small business leaders themselves are saying is the issue and their biggest challenge. Uh, Coming from the National Federation of Independent Businesses, they did a 2020 Small Business Problems and Priorities Report, and I think this helps drive home what are some of the 
uh, business development related, marketing related, and just economic environment challenges that popped up the most for small business leaders when they're looking at in the COVID world and then in the post-COVID world, what are their biggest challenges? Now, none of these were like number one and number two. Like number one and number two for small businesses, their challenges were kind of the same known banes of small business as it were, like healthcare costs, recruitment, finding the right people, Healthcare costs have been screwed up for the past 10 years. Okay, those are like the the top, top, top. But there were several ones that showed up in the top 50 regarding stuff outside your four walls, engaging with your market, picking the right market, etc. So uncertainty over economic conditions was number nine. Projecting future sales changes, number 17. Poor earnings were number 20. Competition from large businesses was number 21. Highly variable earnings was number 24. Pricing my goods or services. How am I going to navigate that? How am I gonna, do I get in price war? What's my pricing strategy? That was number 36. Ability to cost effectively advertise, number 40. That's a big one. Another part of the marketing matrix, right? Promotion and price. Uh, keeping up on business and market developments, number 42. And the final one to crack the top 50 that was more of a business development market related issue was poor sales at number 49. So what I saw from that report is that small and mid-sized businesses are being outpaced by their market. Things are too volatile, especially now moving all over the place. And it's hard for us to keep track so we can know where the opportunities and the threats are outside of our four walls. Number two, big businesses, they're ready to go. They're ready to gain new market share, to adapt and to overcome, to use their clout, to use their cash flow, to use their connectedness, to take care of business. All right. Number three is, you know, what we're seeing in this volatility in the market is increased disappointment and, and unpredictability in sales and profit. We don't know how much money we're going to make. We can't get that predictable cash flow, that predictable uh, profitability. And that's a huge factor into be able to, in being able to confidently invest and make pivots and be agile as we would like to be in an ideal world. And then number four that I took away from this is small and mid-sized businesses are struggling because of these things to wheel the marketing mix, you know, P, uh, uh, product, price, promotion, and placement, right? That's just the basic four Ps. I know there's 17 Ps on some people's list, but you know what I'm trying to say. We're struggling to wheel the marketing matrix to address the related opportunities and threats. So what I think we need to all consider, myself included, is we need to think about a paradigm shift. But first, before I go into what we're looking at today, this ain't, you know, history tends to repeat itself, right? There are always these lessons, whether it's from, you know, the the fables uh, and the virtue stories we learned as kids to, you know, big moments in history. There's always lessons from history that we can draw upon. There's things about this that are really unique. There's also things about, you know, this period that we're in right now that, you know, there are lessons to be drawn upon from history. And one came to me as I was watching a movie that y'all may have seen last year during this pandemic craziness called The Founder. Okay, it starred um, Michael Keaton as Ray Kroc. I watched it on Netflix. Uh, it was really awesome. And I never really learned in depth the story of McDonald's, but it was awesome. So in short, it tells the story from Ray Kroc's perspective, but you know we're going back to 1940s. Okay, so think of like uh, post World War II. So we just got out of World War II, that part of United States history, which was a very significant 
part of United States history is what happened after World War II. And these two brothers, the McDonald brothers, they moved out to California. They started a restaurant. They started the drive-in. And the fact was as they were struggling, the McDonald brothers, you know, in the movie, and, and, and this is based on real life, the McDonald's brothers were struggling when they opened up this uh, restaurant in California. It was a drive-in. And they ran a typical drive-in. Apparently, drive-ins back in the day, I wasn't around for all this, but apparently, drive-ins back in the day, you know, you'd go up, uh, drive up to that Sonic Light, you know, uh, type of uh, place where you can get on the intercom. The drive, you know, it's not a drive-through. You get up on the intercom, you sit there and you wait. Someone comes out, they uh, you, they get your order, they go back in, and, and drive-ins would have all kinds of things on the menu. It was really popular with teenagers. But the issue for McDonald's is. Point blank, they had a bunch of teenagers using it as a late night, you know, uh, you know, a, a, a late night destination to do things that teenagers like to do. And they had all kinds of stuff on the menu. They just weren't profitable. So at one point in time, the brothers decided, the McDonald's brothers decided to sit back. Okay, let's think about what's going on here because we're not making money. What's going on here? And they decided to do two different things and actually really three different things that completely changed the game and the Ray Kroc came in later. So first thing that the McDonald's brothers decided to do is they looked at who their target customer was. They didn't want to, unfortunately, you know, they didn't want to really focus on teenagers, right? Teenagers don't have as much money. They were coming over there to drink a lot and they were littering around the restaurant. You know, that's not your target market. They really wanted to focus, the McDonald's brothers wanted to really focus on young families, Okay, uh, husband, wife, they got the little kids. They're looking for a quick and expensive meal. Okay, that's what they're looking for, a quick and expensive meal. Okay, that is our target customer. How can we recreate McDonald's to make it an ideal experience for that kind of person? The other thing they looked at was not just who they were targeting, but product. What were they offering to them? It talked about in the in the founder in the movie that you know people be offering chicken and waffles, and they'd be offering, you know, Everything you could possibly think of, you know, there wasn't just burgers and fries. It was burgers and fries and pretty much every single thing you could think of. Well, the McDonald's brothers looked at the books, okay? They noticed that their highest margin items on their menu were hamburgers, french fries, milkshakes. So they scrapped the rest of the menu. They said McDonald's is about young families and McDonald's is about three items, three items, not 50, three we can do these really well. We know that, that that our target demographic will appreciate them. We're doing hot do or uh, hamburgers. We're doing fries. We're doing milkshakes. And the final thing that they rolled out to change the game, this is a market-driving, industry-changing thing that the McDonald's brothers did is they developed the speedy system. They were tired of you having to go up to a drive-in restaurant, order your food, and God knows when you're going to get it. They wanted it fast. So they came up with a speedy system. They basically invented fast food as we know it today. So then comes in Ray Kroc, and he took it one step further because they had tried, the McDonald brothers had tried to franchise McDonald's in the past, and it failed miserably. Ray Kroc, who was a, a traveling salesman, and he had plenty of experiences with drive-ins. He knew uh, drive-ins before there was such a thing as fast food, and he was always having to eat on the go. So when he heard about... Uh, McDonald's, uh, they had called him to make uh, a milkshake mixer order, and they ordered like a bajillion, or they ordered a bunch, more than he was ever you know, thinking would ever get ordered. He goes over there, he falls in love with McDonald's, and he just, he, he just like, I got to get in. You got to let me in. I want to do franchising. Well, he too 
had to realize the importance of being laser focused on very specific things or very specific people is he looked at who am I going to have as my franchisees? At first, he was inviting people from the country club, and that was not working out. They didn't care. They started to just do whatever people asked. Every, every time anybody has an idea, let's add that. They were just doing it like every other driving was doing it. They weren't doing it the McDonald's way. And he is like, you know what? These guys don't really care. These guys don't understand our target customer. Who is it? Young families, which is interesting if you think about it in the larger context of America, what was happening in the late 40s, the baby boom, the 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 uh, the metro move of America where people were moving into urban areas, they were urbanizing. We had the huge population boom. We had all these new young families. We needed something. There was something that wasn't getting addressed in the market. McDonald's found a way to address it. But Ray Kroc figured out the way they figured out franchising is he decided, you know what? I want young, ambitious couples to run McDonald's franchises. That's when he figured out the successful franchise model because he had people who understood the target market in, in part because they were the target market, but also they were willing to do it the McDonald's way. They truly believed in what McDonald's was trying to do there. They weren't just going to milk it as a cash cow for whatever was convenient. They really believed in the mission. So what do we learn about this as we're now pivoting to present day? What can we learn from late 40s McDonald's and what they did for fast food? What can we bring to now? We find out that as the climates are changing, was a significant change in the, in the, in the history of the United States, that post-World War II baby boom, urbanizing, going into the 50s, a huge change for the United States. There was a need gotten getting met, and McDonald's decided to be very specific things – their milkshakes, burgers, and fries, you know, with a very specific, uh, what you call value add or customer experience they were delivering and building a unique relationship. Okay, the speedy system. And they were doing it for very specific uh, markets, a very specific customer profile, young families. And you look at the way the winds were going in the economy, in the population, in the country, and they were that laser focused and stay consistent with it. And that's how they changed you know, dining forever. And that's how we get McDonald's today. So let's go to the present and let's look at a more modern day example. So I was reading, I like to read the Harvard Business Review and I saw a very profound article uh, in the Harvard Business Review earlier this year titled How Mid-Sized Companies Can Use Data to Compete with Digital Giants. And uh, it's, I'm going to read an excerpt from it. It talks about a real client of theirs, uh, the author's real client of theirs, and they, they nicknamed them Edison for the purpose of the article. Let me tell you about how Edison Furniture went through a similar uh, kind of journey where they were trying to compete with big businesses. They were losing, and then they made a paradigm shift, being much more laser-focused, and they won big time. So let's start with the article. When the pandemic hit, Edison Furniture had a problem. 
like most furniture retailers, Edison, not his real name, made most of its profits selling mattresses. Internet sellers and off-price local stores were steadily eating into those profits. If you run any kind of furniture business, this all sounds familiar, by the way, right? None of this is surprising to us. Uh, It continues, the company surveyed its large customers and found that most were price buyers. As a mid-sized retailer with a half dozen large costly stores, it was stuck in a price war that seemed hopeless. Sound familiar? As the pandemic drove customers away from shopping at stores, profits plunged. In response, Edison's management decided to try analyzing its profitability in a new way suggested by one of its directors. They created a database of their sales transactions, and rather than allocating costs on a blanket basis, they assigned their actual costs to each transaction. What they saw was amazing. Three points. About 20% of their customers accounted for half of their revenues, but produced more than 130% of their profits, known as profit peak customers. So about a fifth of their customers, half of the revenues, but more than 130 percent of their profits okay uh, second point about 30 percent of the customers accounted for a, a third of their revenues good but drained more than 50 percent of their profits that's very bad they became known as profit drained customers and the final point the remaining 50 percent of their customers accounted for about 20 percent of the revenues but produced less than 10 percent of their profits they call them profit dessert customers so we got a profit peak profit drain and profit dessert customers went and looked at the internal data all right, looked at the internal data, figured out who are our customers, where are we getting the money from, and who, where are we losing money? And just as important. When Edison's managers saw this profit segmentation, they realized that their price war strategy was a response to their profit-drained customers' demands, and they were essentially ignoring their high-profit customers. They quickly sent a brief survey to their large customers, separating the profit-peak customers from the profit drains. They found that the profit-peak customers were very retailer loyal and often had a favorite sales rep. While they weren't necessarily wealthy, they were relatively insensitive to prices. The profit drain customers, however, were price shoppers. They started by shopping at Edison's store, then comparison shopped on the internet, and finally returned to Edison to demand that they match the price. This was the big problem and opportunity. Edison's managers took several steps to address their problem. One, they created icons in their Salesforce system. That's a CRM system, a, a system to manage your customer uh, database and knowing who your customers are. Uh, they, they created those icons representing each customer's profit segment, for example, profit peak customers, so they could recognize those premier customers when they enter the store and send them to their favorite reps. They offered them special services like off-hour uh, off shopping priority on special sales and focused internet deals. Two, they instructed their sales reps not to bargain with the profit drainers, whom they could also recognize from Salesforce. They were surprised to find that most of these customers bought from the store anyway to avail themselves of Edison's renowned service. Thirdly, they instructed their merchandisers to develop private label lines, which the profit peak customers preferred and which were also more profitable. They changed their advertising theme from low price to high quality and high service. And finally, they stationed their master drivers who excelled in customer service and to in profit peak customers' neighborhoods and had the other drivers shuttle loads to them. These master drivers handled all of the key customer interactions and scouted for their additional furniture needs while making the deliveries, leading to multiple sales. Edison's profits skyrocketed, and in the process, they carved out a defensible, 
high-growth strategy that the digital giants and off-price competitors couldn't match with their low-service, low-price strategies. And it continues on, but here's what I think that the, the article is telling me. Here's what I think business is telling us. If we try to beat these big businesses on their own turf, all right, you know, the fastest availability, the greatest breadth of product offering, the lowest price, the economies of scale, you know, the two-day delivery, we're going to lose. It's a losing battle. And trying to, you know, reach every customer. Everybody's our customer. You know, and what I continually compare it to is, you know, well, we're not Walnut Mart. We're your local grocery store. But we do everything that Walmart does. We just do it on this geographical area rather than this geographical area. And that's what you call, you know, that's your segmentation strategy. Not working. Not working. And and frankly, the, the article continues to say is um, these big businesses, they're not even mass marketing. They're using this big data. They're using all these technology resources that they have to basically go after a bunch of micro segments. They're going after all these micro segments with economies of scale. They've got the latest and greatest tech to automate as much of the process to make it efficient and convenient as possible. And they're giving you that arm's length service. They are going to give you some service, but they're not going to give you that intimate service that small and mid-sized businesses pride themselves on. However, once again, if the small and mid-sized companies are trying to beat the big businesses at their own game. It doesn't matter that you quote unquote care about your customers or you can have more of a personable approach. If you're trying to beat them on price, you're trying to win out on economies of scale or availability, not going to work. And we have to do more segmentation than just, you know, I'm this small area, but then everybody in this geographical area is my customer. You can't be marketing to everybody. And I think that's what that, the history of McDonald's or today, what we're learning with these mid-size uh, physical product stores is that everything is about segments. We're in a market of markets, as it were. And we have to think differently. Not everybody's my customer. Not I draw this geographical area and that's it. Not I'm going to try to win on price or whatnot. We, there's room with what the big businesses just can't do where there's an unmet need, okay? Rupert Murdoch, when he was asked uh, why or how did he get the inspiration to start Fox News, he said, uh, I just saw that 51% of the Americans weren't getting marketed to in terms of their news. And so he decided to start Fox News. Okay, you know, whether or not you like Fox News, that's not really the point of saying is you need to look for an unmet need out of, for example, out of what big business is doing. And then if you find that you have a strength, what are your burgers, your milkshakes, your fries? What can you position to a very specific type of customer who is not getting their needs met in that value-add, white-glove service, unique experience kind of way? And then how can you completely throw yourselves at that very specific type of person to change the game and to be that much more profitable? What did the article say? It said that uh, even with the profit drain customers, so they were providing a significant amount of the revenue, but they were draining significant profits, okay? That's not good business. Not all business is good business. When the furniture store, Edison Furniture, knew what they were about, when they decided to draw the line and say, hey, we do business this way, we're not gonna be competing against every single thing you find on the internet, but they knew what they were about and they knew how they could excel and provide something different that was a value add, then even the profit drain customers like, you know what, I would love to get your unique service 
I'll pay more to get that service. And I think that's what that 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 or that experience from that uh, furniture company having to make a pivot in the in the uh, COVID uh, pandemic last year. That's what they did. So a couple points just to kind of wrap it home and uh, you know wrap this thing home on what specifically you can be looking to do this decade as a small and mid-sized business leader to help you win on the other side of this pandemic. Number one is being data-driven. So if you're going back to the article again, two things that you'll notice that they did. Number one is they looked at their own internal data, be it your accounting software, be it your CRM, be it your website analytics, you know, Google analytics, whatever, look at your internal data, figure out out of your existing book of business, which is great. So you don't have to like prognosticate or go outside. Like you already have a history with your company. You have a customer base. You can break them off into segments into different categories with Edison furniture. It was three with you. It might be fewer or it might be more, whatever, know who your customers are, profile them, profiling in a good way, like, you know, all the demographics and why they come to you, what they typically like, you know, why do they work with you? And you can do that partly through your sales transactions, your accounting and whatnot. You can also do it partly through research. They did do some surveys. You can do some panels to figure out and to know your customer that much more, to know the why, to explore on who these customers are and why they work with you, what they like, what they don't like. Then you can use that knowledge as power and then you can further use data as you're working through your new strategy because now you know i want to be very specific things the hamburgers the fries the milkshakes to very specific people the young families right for example in the case of mcdonald's or with edison furniture they found that profit core uh uh type of customer and they reoriented everything to fit that and then what do they do they added on the value add. No one else is going to be able to deliver you X, Y, and Z like Edison Furniture, be it with the way they handled the deliveries, be it with the 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 special shopping hours that they offered them, making sure that they aligned their favorite sales rep to the profit core customer. And then even the profit drain customers are like, you know what? Now I've got FOMO. Now I want some of that. I'm not going to go to the big box store that I saw on the internet who was X percentage lower. I want to work with you because you're offering me something I can't get from anywhere else. So uh, figuring this part out can be the tough part, right? I'm, I'm not going to say that this is easy, but some of us business owners, we fall into different categories. Some of us are excellent operators. We're just good with the business part of business, okay? Figuring this part out might not be your bag. Some of you might be analysts where you're really good at strategy and looking at what's going on in the economy or looking at data or analyzing. Okay, well, then you're going to love this exercise. Others, a lot of small businesses, especially, they're artists. You know, they're really good with craft. They're really good at making whatever their passion is. And that is kind of the, the core of the business, the explorer, creator, artisan. If you're an operator or an artisan, you need to bring in an analyst. So you need to find someone who can do this exercise for you because it is crucial. Once again, the days of mass marketing, especially for small businesses, are over because not even the big businesses are doing it. And they're winning by going into micro-segmenting with all of their economies of scale, with all of their data resources. We, as small and mid-sized businesses, we must be data-driven, and we must know our customers and know exactly who we are and what we're going to offer in a very laser-focused way. So I, I wanted to just kind of wrap this up on this final point is, you know, we've got to be more 
technology uh, adept. We've got to find ways to be more automated, to use technology to our benefit. Uh, in addition to that strategy, knowing who our core customer is, to be able to deliver unique customer service. Okay, Disney called it plussing. You should be looking to always plus with how efficient you could be, plus with how unique your service can be, plus with uh, unique experiences that you can you, you can implement to build an audience and build a unique experience that can't be easily replicated. I think that if we small and mid-sized businesses do that, if we can have that kind of focus, if we can uh, not try to be like the big businesses and we can be more into a very specific type of customer and then offering that very specific type of product, that very specific type of experience, that's the core of how we go to new heights this decade. Because I think that everything that happened before COVID was already in the works in terms of the market fractionalizing, in terms of us becoming an increasingly borderless market with increased uh, uh, multinational sales and global e-commerce, just the move away from you know local brick and mortar shopping, everything in the marketplace is now just getting expedited that much faster because of COVID. And so we as small businesses have two two choices. We can be market driven and we can respond to these market changes by knowing who our best fit customer is and then orienting like that a la McDonald's. Or we could be market driven out because we continue to think that everybody's our customer and we don't get to know our customers. We don't do that due diligence and that research to make sure we're positioned with a great strategy and a great core focus to win the day. So uh, that wraps up uh, my thoughts. If you uh, appreciated the the Good Morning Market episode today, if you would like to connect with us, please review uh, the in, in rate the podcast that really helps the the show get out there wherever you're getting your podcast you know be it Apple Podcasts or Spotify share the podcast if you know other small and mid sized business leaders who need to know what's going on with the market and need to know about the latest you know strategies and get some food for thought on how to run their business and, and grow more efficiently if you'd like to reach out to the show you can email me at info at soulinsights.com that's info at s o l i n s i ghts.com to reach me directly and perhaps if you want to suggest someone you think would be a good fit for the podcast you can also connect with me on linkedin you can find me philip scroggin on linkedin find the company page and you can subscribe if you'd like a uh, more email based up-to-date on the local markets national markets we have a Good Morning Market newsletter. So you can find that on soulinsights.com. Subscribe to get the newsletter as well. And everybody have a great week out there. Just remember, in order to lead your market, you must first hear and know your market.